Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. As always, this podcast episode is brought to you by you. Um, if you are a paid subscriber, I make each of these free, each of these episodes free to give maximum exposure to my awesome guests. Um, so that's made possible by those of you that pay your $8 a month or annual fee or whatever you do, which I greatly appreciate. Um, Today, I am joined by Megan Chance. Uh, Megan is a author and podcaster whose mission is to reclaim femininity or feminism for Christianity. So we're going to talk about the intersection today of feminism and Christianity, which is a fascinating topic for me. Obviously, you've organized your life and, and, and purpose and career around this. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I like the clarification between femininity and feminism. <laughs> Because I I feel like it's interesting because even the way that the Christian or large uh, swaths of the Christian faith has identified femininity is also something that we should probably talk about. Yeah, yes, feminism. Feminism, yeah. And I was telling you before we hit record Mm -hmm. um, that the you know, to, to people that would identify maybe not as maybe they're maybe they're agnostic, but they're feminists that one of the main reasons that they end up with the belief system they have is the treatment of women within the traditional patriarchal oh. Christianity, which is super tragic in the sense yes. of, of that, you know, of that approach. And I've got I've been I've been greatly influenced. I don't know her, but her writings of Megan Watterson and her book on Mary Magdalene has been instrumental. And her whole concept of fem- feminine and masculine energy. And anyway, so I'm super excited to nerd out over these things with you for, for a little bit. So yeah. how long, uh, one sort of context question for, for the audience and for myself is how long have you been doing this work? Like officially, like, you know, you don't, you, you know, you, you don't work in accounting and do this on the mm-hmm. side type of thing. Like how long have you officially been like going out and sharing these ideas with the world? About five years. Um, I quit my job five years ago to pursue this full time. So um, it's definitely evolved in the way that I do it. I've learned as I went and have refined my message. But five years ago is when I quit my job to pursue this full time. That's beautiful. I love that you did that. I um, We were in um, Tulum actually most of the week uh, last week mm-hmm. and went to a place called Mystica which is uh, like an art installation. And the message I got from that was be patient, but don't wait. And so when you, like you were doing what you did, you quit my job to start this, that, and it's, that's different than I quit my job to like start a software company. I mean, that's fine. I love entrepreneurs, but when you quit your job metaphorically and literally to organize your life around your mission and purpose, that is to me, one of the biggest acts of bravery you can have, especially in this modern society where everything is expensive and everybody tells you, you know, get a job and keep it. And so bravo to you for doing that. Yeah. So. Fortunately, I've had the support of my partner that allowed me to do that. I, um, you know, I've had a lot of part-time jobs uh, to support it, but my mission primarily has been this for the last five years. Yeah. So that's great. Well, let's open the gate with a very light question, which is, okay. was Jesus a feminist? Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many ways that I could support this. And so I'm trying to think of the ones that have been most impactful when I tell them. So there's a couple of Bible stories I want to share because, you know, if we're looking at Jesus, we're going to look at yeah. the, 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 the stories that we have through scripture of his mm-hmm. life. Um, I'm going to choose two stories that I think really illustrate how he's a feminist, but really, if you look at his whole life and ministry and career, the way he involved women is uh, very counter patriarchal culture and very revolutionary. And so the first story I want to hear share is the story of Mary and Martha. If you've grown up in any kind of Christian space, you've probably heard of this story before, um, but not in the way that I'm going to tell it or the way that I think uh, it should be highlighted um, based on the context of that time. So first of all, let's establish the time period. We are in a very patriarchal time. Uh, Women really weren't uh, allowed outside the house. They weren't really allowed to interact with men. Um, They were seen kind of as the property as their husbands, Um, not a lot of rights, not really seen as any kind of authority in anything, kind of just an appendage. Um, And we see this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're in an extremely patriarchal culture and we live in one today, but much more extreme back then. So that's, that's the groundwork. Women weren't allowed to lead or, um, you know, be religious leaders or anything like that. So, so enter the story. We have the story of Mary and Martha. Um, Jesus and his disciples go to the house of Mary and Martha. And as we all know, Martha is preparing the house. She's she's functioning as a woman should in that time. She's cleaning the house, getting the food ready, trying to be hospitable to her guests um, and spending most of her time preparing. Like this is, this is what we know of womanhood. She thinks she's doing the right thing. You could argue she is doing the right thing uh, based on cultural norms of the time. And then we have Mary, who instead of doing all of her traditional roles, decides that she's actually going to act like a disciple and sit at the feet of Jesus. And to sit at the feet of Jesus is to um, to intend, if you, if you sat at the feet of the rabbi in that time, was to intend to be a rabbi yourself, to intend to be um, a leader in Christianity or relig- religion at that time. And so what Mary is doing is super offensive because she's not going with her prescribed gender role. In fact, she's throwing it out the window and she's going so far as to put herself in a room that she wasn't allowed in, in the presence of men she wasn't allowed to be in, uh, to communicate that she wanted to be a leader and a teacher and to to, to learn at the feet of Jesus. So what she's doing um, is extremely offensive to the patriarchal norms of that time and to a lot of the elite uh, religious leaders of that time. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees, what she's doing is really, really not okay. Um, And so it makes sense that Martha responds the way she does. Hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get back in the kitchen. She's not safe out there. I don't want her to get in trouble. She's not doing what she should. Tell her to come back in here. And I think Jesus's response to her is one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. He says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. And I think we've been taught that scripture is like, uh, it's all about, don't be busy, just sit at the feet of Jesus. And sure, you could probably pull that from that. But when you think of the context of that time, 
when Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her, we have to understand all of the ways he is dismantling patriarchal norms with that sentence. Um, he is saying it is better for Mary to be in the presence of men, to learn at the feet um, of me, to learn at the feet of the son of God, to intend to be a disciple or a rabbi yourself. And so this is huge. And I feel like we just gloss over it. Like it's not a big deal. And then like to, to illustrate, there's so many stories of Jesus doing this, of really resi resisting these patriarchal norms. We have the other story of the woman caught in adultery, um, by old Testament law. So, uh, you know, this religious Judaism, um, a woman caught in adultery, this, the penalty for that was death. And so these religious elite, all of these men who want to stone her technically are within the rights of a patriarchal conservative religion to stone her. But Jesus puts his body on the line to defend her, which is contradictory to, you know, these old Testament laws that we have to protect her. And he's, and he, instead he condemns uh, those who are trying to, to stone her. And again, yeah. that's a, a massive statement where in a culture where men are so quick to condemn women and again, right? Like who was she caught in adultery with? Shouldn't he be out there? Um, mm -hmm. the, the woman is protected that Jesus actually puts his body on the line to protect her and condemns those that that want to condemn her. And so I think those are two stories and there's many more I could go on forever. Yeah. But yes, yes, I think Jesus was yeah. absolutely a feminist because he resisted the patriarchal norms. He elevated women, he empowered women and he literally put his body on the line to protect women. Um, so was Jesus a feminist? Absolutely. Yeah. And what he did is completely countercultural, completely revolutionary and um we were talking earlier about how sometimes in today's culture it's hard to want to claim the name christian and i understand that 100 percent. but when i look at christ it's like that's who i want to be like and yeah. um so yes he was yeah. a feminist and i could talk about it all day <laughs> yeah and I, it's one of those things where maybe we just focus on this question because i think it's so radical in a good way um you know, we have two other questions, but I don't want to force that. I think this is a good topic. And so here, here my answer to that is yes. Um, now, I was raised, I mean, people that listen to this podcast know I was raised a fundamentalist. I was raised a, a, a Republican fundamentalist, what, what I now would call white Christian nationalism. Now, I, now that I know what it is, mm -hmm. um, the positive to that is you really learn the Bible. The negative to that is you really learn a version of the Bible <laughs> and that matches the ideology because it's much more fundamentalism is much more ideology driven than theology driven anymore. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, and so this idea that Jesus is a feminist was is is deliciously heretical to me because I absolutely believe it. But here's it is. And I would argue with you give me somebody with 14 divinity degrees of the and they're like. Or they run a mega church, whatever, I would debate them and I would kick their ass on this. And here's why, because you're a, to an ism, anything that ends in ism is, mm -hmm. it's not an ism if it's not systemic or intrinsic, extrinsic and systemic, mm -hmm. which are the three structures of axiology, which is um, sort of the study of being in the world. And the 
intrinsic is the integration that Jesus had between the, the between divine masculinity and divine femininity, using those words rather than feminism in that case, mm-hmm. and not related to gender or anything, but related to energy. And he was an open-hearted, heart-based leader. That is always somebody that a heart-based leader is a feminist, even if they may not call themselves that, because in the structure of basically the very loose, you know, the, the mind is order and that's masculine, the heart is 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 chaos or creativity and that's feminine he was the most integrated dude as it related to who that part of him extrinsically is this some of the things you mentioned is that his stories and his teachings and his parables and the things that are recorded or captured you know around what he taught were very extrinsic related to behavior um and the, the third one and maybe the biggest one of all is it's systemic is that as you said very beautifully he was changing the system. And mm-hmm. this is something I've learned from my partner, Virginia, who is the president of a very large, the largest feminist organization in Central America and, and a lifelong social justice activist and women's rights and everything is, I learned this from her and other kind of third wave feminists that feminism is more a mindset about how you see the world related to justice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about protecting rights as much as it is protect about seeing the world through a a lens that is feminine first. And he did that. Even his metaphors were that. And I don't think it's funny as you go back and you look at like the, the, in Psalms and and Proverbs and other, other elements of the old Testament that um, there was a feminization of like, for the example of wisdom was a she and the spirit was sometimes referred to as a she. And so this, beautiful alliance if you look at it from a conscious conscious spiritual standpoint of masculine and feminine producing the the son or the the child and the feminine is the spirit i think that's how you live life i think that's the whole point it wasn't like the systems that we've created are oppressive to joy it's not just oppressive to rights it's oppressive to joy and meaning and creativity and purpose and i don't believe in nirvana but i do believe that do it and doing what you like you've done where you put your job and organize your life around this mission so mm-hmm. yes jesus was a feminist <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i and i think again we've been because i was also raised fun, fundamentalist christian white national white christian nationalism absolutely um and it's funny because you're right i i did they did it really encourage me to read the Bible. <laughs> and then I, and then I saw all the things that they skipped over or the things they emphasized at the cost of like, for example, in white Christian nationalism, you're going to hear all the time about how queer people are the enemy or unsubmissive housewives are the enemy or liberalism or social justice is the enemy. And then you look at scripture and there's over 2000 verses supporting justice and and then if you do some research about the word homosexuality in the bible it wasn't even introduced until 1946 and then on top of that you can maybe pull a couple of verses um out and i think there's again a lot of context that we're missing um but by and large this is a book about social justice um to over 2000 verses and they choose these one or two verses to focus on Um, taking out of context and make that all about their faith. But when you see what they're doing, to me, it seems so unchristlike because it's very clear that 
the context with what they're reading the Bible is how do I protect and maintain my power? How do I protect and maintain my rights? How do I protect and maintain my money or my guns or whatever it is? And they read scripture through that lens. (laughs) But when we look at Jesus, we see a man who was constantly countercultural to that. He said, who who lives by the sword, dies by the sword. He's constantly giving away power. They wanted him to come in. They were expecting a savior. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. that came in on a war horse that was coming, Mm -hmm. you know, to vanquish enemies. And what they had was a man who gave away power, brought those from the margins in and humbled himself. And so for me to see this religion that's supposedly based in the teachings of Christ, I'm like, did you read what Christ did? Because what you're doing is not what he did. And so um, it's really interesting because their encouragement of me reading scripture was part of my deconstruction. Like this doesn't make sense. (laughs) I left, I mean, my soul left years prior, but I'm, I was very afraid of the leaving the structure, even though I didn't Mm -hmm. agree with many of the, you know, the theological underpinnings of the, of the church, but it was, it was it was a re-examination of the Bible mm-hmm. to me, um, and the one of the there's so two thoughts that come out of that. One is Jesus, um, somewhat because it was the Aramaic times and very poetic language, very poetic time. He wasn't very direct. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of direct commandments like related to rules. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But there was one. He was. Well, there were two, and they were very related. That he was very consistently critical of, and that was the abuse of power and hypocrisy yes and i look at you know we're all we all fuck up our lives Mm -hmm. sometimes now and again but i look at what white christian nationalism american white christian nationalism but now you can look at it as far as like you know putin's support comes Mm -hmm. from the church the state-run church which is a type of christian nationalism Mm -hmm. is that the single greatest hypocrisy is to hoard power Mm -hmm. and that includes thinking you need to take over the government to, to protect, to protect right. your, your freedom to worship the way you want to worship, which is some, some really mentally ill bullshit, like to arrive at that conclusion. And the second one, and kind of, kind of throw this out as a semi-topic here is I have these debates, not as much anymore. I live in Austin and most people here are either progressive Christians or agnostic or atheists. Mm-hmm. But when I talk to my when I talk to people that are very more evangelical or fundamentalist and we have these debates or discussions is they say, but the Bible says, and they'll quote like, you know, some anti-woman verse or anti, mm-hmm. anti-LGBTQT verse. And I pointed out, I said, all it takes is a little bit of Google research to understand that based on uh, artificial intelligence, reviewing the Bible through linguistic patterns, that there is ample evidence that Paul's writings were edited hundreds of years after he wrote those things because of the writing style and the AI, artificial intelligence, and can break that down and go, these are the patterns. And there is a, so now we look at it this way, there was a concentrated pattern when there was the first church state alliance between the, what it became the Catholic church and then the Roman government, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, you, we're gonna, you, you're gonna be the official gov- religion of our, of our state. And in order to do that, I, we need you to defeminize. Because mm-hmm. at the time it was, there were mi- women ministers and there were the mm-hmm. mystics and the desert fathers and mothers. And there was Mary Magdalene and many others. Um, I'm trying to remember the Greek um, 
mystic that um, Paul was friends with. I can't remember, it starts with a T. I can't remember off the top of my head now. But anyway, there was a concentrated effort to defeminize mm -hmm. Christianity to please the church state. Right. And that's not, I mean, it's, you, we can argue it, but it's mostly indisputable that that mm -hmm. is exactly what happened. Yeah, and we have evidence from scripture that the Bible has been moved. For example, um, one translation of the Bible has the name Junius instead of Junia. Junia was a female apostle disciple yeah. and translator yeah. has actually changed her to a male because it more fits with this right. idea that only men could be in charge. And, and we have the evidence. This is like indisputable um, that we, yeah. we see how scripture was changed. We can see the original documents and how they've been changed over time. And what you, to more to your point, um, yeah, during the Roman times, before there was that alliance between church and state, um, Christians were seen as effeminate, like you said, because they welcomed women and they welcomed children and they welcomed people with disabilities. And they were seen as this, um, you know, effeminate religion that wasn't taken seriously uh, because they <laughs> they weren't masculine enough. And so right. um, absolutely, we see this tie between masculinity and power in church and state. And we know if we look at the history of Christianity, um, that there's, there's a really good scholar who talks about this. Um, my friend Rose J. Percy taught me about this concept between rulers church and people's church. And there's always been a church and state alliance that has used Christianity um, in a way that I think is completely unchristlike. But if we even yep. look here in the United States, the doctrine of discovery, uh, which was basically an edict issued by European rulers that you could steal land, kill Native Americans uh, mm -hmm. to claim it for Christ um, yeah. because we were making it a Christian land. And we, the, uh, there's a really incredible book about this called Unsettling Truths by Mark Charles and Highly recommend everyone read it. So we see how Christianity has been used to oppress, to take over, to conquer, to acquire more power. But then we also look at what I would call a more true Christianity, and we see the faith of civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., who are abolitionists, who are completely inspired by their faith, their same Christian faith, well, obviously not the same, but their Christian faith to resist these powerful structures that oppressed others. And so um, we see how tr even Christianity today is um, used to oppress and marginalize. We're seeing specifically people of color, queer people, women. Um, and we can also see that there's people who are resisting it that are also motivated by their faith. And so I think we really need to examine <laughs> um, yeah, the teachings uh, of Christ. And it really is it is not to acquire power and this is an unholy alliance between church and state to acquire more power and to harm other people yeah, while they do it. Yeah. It, it's, it, and I'll say what it is. It's the, it, when, when they hear about the antichrist, which is the opposite of mm -hmm. uh, white Christian nationalism is the antichrist. It's mm -hmm. and it's the exact opposite of Jesus's teachings. And yeah. I think, you know, when you, it, it, Rob Bell, who has inspired me greatly, you know, he talks about everything is political. And this is one of the things that, where you know I'm blending ideology with theology or your convictions, and it's it's what we need is to in many ways is the the um, the freedom of religion 
um, the freedom of religion that is, is a protected right that is far more threatened by Christian nationalism than atheists that don't like mm -hmm. red Starbucks cups or whatever. Right. Um, th that, that there needs to, to, to me, it's about liberation. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we're talking about. And liberation at its root is part of even the, the American experience, with experience, even though it, it, it created a lot of oppression of people, as those that, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. at its root is liberation. And, and so it's funny when, when you hear the MAGA people in particular talking about like a God guns, God, God guns and Trump and, mm -hmm. you know, and all of this, uh, all of this talk of this muscular, aggressive, toxic mm -hmm. view of Christianity that is so not Jesus is they, you know, they, the saying of make America great again. I was like, you really want to make America great again, return to the principles of liberty, which includes creating liberation for any people to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's why I love the, the Jesus and Buddha in particular and other mystical teach, spiritual teachers, the root of their teaching was freedom and liberation. And that's in direct contrast to the hoarding of power that you mm -hmm. see. And I challenge men in particular, men that, that are, you know, from a, con convic from a conviction standpoint, is your, our, our role as men, especially if we're a people of faith, is the not the defense of feminine feminism, mm -hmm. but the promotion of it. It is our job to be. It's I don't know if you know if you watched Outlander, but the relationship between the main the two main characters is to me very similar. Which is to is is to be a promoter a promoter of the ideas of feminism within Christianity as a man and also a protector, not of the person, but of the space to create, to, the space to express. And it sounds like at a more personal micro level, that's what your partner has done with you is giving you the mm -hmm. space to do this. And I think there's a beautiful lesson in that in any relationship is the world needs more feminism. Mm -hmm. It is the pathway to the future. It is the bridge to the past and to deny that um, either if you're a far right-wing leftist and, or you're woke, you know, the overly woke, or you're a right-wing or MAGA person, to deny that is to deny the, the, how liberation actually happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you're doing this sort of frontline work. Like you are, you are the modern heretic. And I think it's delightful that you're doing that. It's so cool. And so interesting. Nelly, sorry, dog my dog. <laughs> uh, Nelly off. Sorry, I think someone's delivering a package. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been called a Nelly stop a heretic many times. I've gotten a lot of really terrible emails from people who identify as Christian. And in fact, the most um, aggressive people or the most hateful people I've encountered have identified as Christian who have like a bio that says all about Jesus. And I'm like, this yeah. is so not yeah. like Christ. And so um, I'm glad you told me that it's okay for dogs to make noise before. Cause I, okay. I, yeah. I usually kick her out of my office for this exact reason, but she uh, was it's sleeping. Fine. So, so um, and, yeah, I, I've had on um, on my podcast, David Hayworth. Um, do you know David, the naked pastor? I do know him, yeah. Uh, he's amazing. And Marshall Davis, uh, do you know his stuff? I've had him on. He's, uh, he's amazing. And they talk a lot about the hate mail that they get. And, yeah. you know, I could go on and on. But I, basically, 
this is, I'm 51. My partner's a feminist and social justice person. My, I miss, this next chapter of life is to use my white maleness to, as a, as a, as a, as a, what's the word, a, a contribution to this. And it's, it, it's like the, maybe outside of being a father, the deepest conviction I've ever had that this is what I'm supposed to do next. And so talking with you is very encouraging and um, I'm very impressed by the work you're doing and Thank keep going. You. Thank you. Yeah, I think for me, like a little bit of my story is how I even got here and why this work is so important and about liberation is, I was, like I said, entrenched in this white Christian nationalist patriarchal <laughs> um, structure. And I was actually a missionary that worked with sexually exploited women and um, exploited women in general. And I started noticing a tie between uh, patriarchal teachings and the danger, oppression, violence that women faced. And it was actually having a conversation with a man who was buying this woman uh, who had no other choice. And I asked him, he asked us why we were there and we were there to help these um, women get into college and get a full ride to college and um, have more options for their life. And this, this man, he asked us why we were there and, and we told him and we returned the question to him. And he said he came to get the respect that he deserved, that he wanted women to be submissive to him and that in the States, women were not submissive. They did not know their place. And here in this, we were in the Philippines, this place where women in order to survive um, extreme poverty or sometimes had been forced in by their family or a lot of women had been forced in by climate change because uh, these typhoons are wiping out provinces and the outlying islands of the Philippines. And so they send their children um, to the city who don't have a formal education, who then get picked up by traffickers. And that's many of the stories I heard um, in this area. And, and he said, these women here are raised right. They know how to give me the respect I deserve. And he went on this really long misogynistic tirade about how women don't know their place and women just need to respect men and yada, yada, yada. And as he was speaking, I'm like, this, sounds so familiar. Where have I heard this before? And it hit me that I had heard this kind of talk my entire evangelical upbringing. Um, and that the same thing that caused men from around the world to cause violence towards women was women not knowing their place, women not being submissive or respect, uh, showing respect enough. And I had heard that again and again and again from men who abused and exploited right. and oppressed women. And then I realized that it was the same teachings of my church. And I felt like the most holy thing I could do was to not participate in a system uh, that caused the oppression of women, even if they put a religious stamp on it. And so that's when I quit my job. And it's so funny because everyone was like, yay, Megan, she's fighting trafficking. But as soon as I started tying it to women's rights and to patriarchal teachings, they threw me out. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. said I was no longer one of them, that I was part of the liberal agenda. I got emails yeah. about how I was sending people to hell and how I was going to hell. In fact, I had one man tell me to repent in the name of Jesus and that I deserved to be raped, um, which just, I think, illustrates this idea. These men who claim Christ think that because I'm 
you know, not behaving how I should, that my punishment is violence. And I'm like, you are completely illustrating my point here. That is the story, the narrative we hear again and again. We know that sexual assault and sexual violence is about dominance and control. And here the church is teaching men to desire dominance and control. And so when we make this connection, not only is Jesus a feminist, but these teachings of male hierarchy are actually what drives and causes sexual violence and sexual abuse and domestic violence, then we cannot be complicit anymore. We really have to turn and do better. And so for me, I spend a lot of my time even educating on that truth that science Mm -hmm. has shown, studies have shown, that sexual violence and violence in general towards women is about dominance and control. So how dare we, in the name of Jesus, teach a a system that promotes enormous power differentials, teaching little boys from the age of five to desire dominance and control over women. Um, So when SBC, when we get these these reports Mm -hmm. about the Southern Baptist Convention and the abuse that they're causing and also hiding i am not surprised because you've taught young boys in your congregation from a young age that they should dominate and control women when we know that's what causes sexual abuse i'm not surprised um and so that's what i spend a lot of my time educating people on number one jesus was a feminist number two these power hierarchies that you teach in the name of jesus are not only unchristlike they're responsible for a lot of the violence that we see towards women Yes. And when you look at it from the kind of the ego soul standpoint, where the ego is more represented by unconscious masculinity and the soul is represented by conscious femininity or the conscious feminine is really what we're seeing with the, with patriarchal structures and, and the power, power structures is that these are people that are fully consumed by their ego, which means they are fully consumed by their identity. That's another way to look at it. And you see this on the far left, it's just much less violent. I mean, they might break some windows, but it's not, it's much less violent as opposed to the far right where their identity is tied up in a sort of Christian nationalism view, even though they wouldn't call it that. Mm-hmm. And, and here's what we know. Whenever you are fully consumed by your ego, the inevitable result is either your own destruction or the destruction of others. And I think you can trace these patriarchal teachings back to um, school shootings or mass shootings, as an oh, example. Absolutely. I think that's all related to this idea that we have, we have, we have a we have, we have a society that encourages someone to be fully consumed by their identities, and and that we have a long history, what hundreds, four or five hundred year history that white men in particular in our society can get away with shit that nobody else can. Mm-hmm. And in the sense of get away with it, meaning like, like the things you're talking about, they sort of like institutional violence. Mm-hmm. And Virginia's work with um, the in the Latina community, primarily in Central America, she has shown me like, for example, that um, that in this case, it's a combination of old guard Catholic and then new evangelicalism. So you, the, the right wing evangelicalism is permeated Central and South America now and starting to influence politics like it does in the United States. And Central America has the highest femicide rate in the world because it's socially okay. And so when when I first met her, we were talking about feminism and structures and things. She said, well, in America, American women are worried about, they they focus on like um, the, the right to equal wage. 
um, maybe that's kind of the, their thing. And she goes, that's fine. But in Central and South America, they were fighting for their right to live. And it was chilling and true. There was a truth to that. And I think what, like what you're doing is pointing these out. And I want to do this too, especially as a man, especially as a white, straight Christian male, I want to be able to point out, I was like, this is, you have to understand the roots of the systems that you're participating in. And then you can decide if you're going to do this, turn a blind eye to it, or you can try to blow shit up. And I'm, I've decided the, I'm going to bring things into the light and blow shit up as it relates to this stuff. Thus having thinkers and uh, like yourself on the show, on the podcast, because we need to have these conversations. So yeah, I could talk to you all, I could talk to you all day, but do you have any like final thoughts before we wrap? Um, I like, I, 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 I'm not super familiar with Latin America. I do know that they do like, for example, I've heard a lot of the stories of the feminists in Mexico, for example, who has, there's just so many women being killed mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but I also like, I also think we have a huge problem, probably not to the degree that um, Latin America has of violence against women here in the United States. And there's so little <laughs> accountability for it. And I think it's getting worse, honestly. Um, but all of that to say, I think in order to make the world better, we have to understand the systems that we've been complicit in. And I think if we've been raised in white Christian nationalism, we've been taught to see everything on an individual perspective. In fact, I remember when I pointed out, when I was starting to really question these hierarchical teachings that I was taught as biblical gender roles in the church, I remember speaking to people I trusted about it. And they said, oh, no, no, Megan, that's just one instance of this man doing patriarchy wrong. Um, this is an individual example. Right. Um, and then they would say that again and again and again and again and again, because it keeps happening. And we don't realize that we're actually part of systems. And so there's a lot of systems that we need to be aware of, of, of how we're influencing and, and the decisions we're making, because um, every day we're alive, we are... <laughs> making mm -hmm. a choice of what systems we are going to be participating in. That's and right. I think we need to be aware of that. And so to do nothing is to maintain the status quo is to say, you know what, I'm okay with the way things are. So I'm not going to do anything because yeah. it may not harm me. Um, and it's funny because when I, I never got this scripture that said, uh, when God said, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot or cold. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of view it as like, we need to be hot or cold. We need to identify systems. And by doing nothing, we're maintaining the status quo. In fact, there, I don't know if you've ever read um, a letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr. It's his frustration with the moderates who choose to do nothing. That's who he's most frustrated with. It's not these so-called enemies. It's the people who choose to maintain the status quo because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so my encouragement to anyone listening today is to become aware, number one, of the systems that we're complicit in and mm -hmm. know that when we do nothing, we're saying, I'm okay right. with the systems. Silence so. is affirmation. Silence is affirmation. And my parting thought on that, very similar to yours, is especially if you're listening to this and you are a man that identifies even mildly as a Christian, your number one job is to raise your consciousness. That's your first job. If you raise your consciousness, then you'll see the systems. So it's not, don't take our word for it. Raise your own consciousness because one of the things, whether it's systems, whether it's patriarchal systems or economic systems or life systems, 
the lower your conscious consciousness level, the less less likely you are to understand to see systems. And this is again complexity science applied to theology or faith in some ways. And but work on your consciousness. That's what Jesus did. You, that's what it was all about was consciousness. And if you if you raise it, you can't then can't be an idle bystander apologizing, being apologetic for individual behavior when really it's a systemic issue. So. There we go. <laughs> um, I'll link to all your stuff in the show notes. Um, and um, I'll send you, of course, I'll let you know when this is going to go live. Um, and so you can promote it on your socials and I'll promote it on mine. But you're you're awesome. Thank you for the work you're doing. I can't wait to see what you where you take it all. Thank you for having me.